the truth about all this? The truth is that this was a story about many different things, but most of all about idiots. Because we're doing the best we can. We really are. We're trying to be grown up and love each other and understand how the hell you're supposed to insert USB leads. We're looking for something to cling on to, something to fight for, something to look forward to. And we're doing all we can to teach our children how to swim. We have all this in common, yet most of us remain strangers. We never know what we do to each other, how your life is affected by mine. That's one of my favorite quotes from this week's book, Anxious People. Hi, Lacey. Hello, Kippen. Oh my gosh. What are you up to? You know what? I I had a pretty good day. I took my kids to the pool and now I'm just, you know, wanting to fall into a dead, deep slumber. But I'm also excited to talk to you about this book. What did you do today? Uh, well, I started my day off by nearly pulling my hair out, trying to set up a water table. <laughs> it had like 40 pieces and my oh kids my were dying to play with it. And so I'm like frantically like piecing it together. One piece I could not find it like such a stupid little thing. It was a different color from what <laughs> from what the the picture. Yes. Yes. On everything was the exact same except for one thing. And it was a really crucial piece. And so I was just like, did y'all take this piece? Like anyways, it was a big how, ordeal. <laughs> how dare they is what I want to say. How dare uh, they do not send me a picture of something red and then let it actually be green. That's no, so. no, no, no. Well, did it pay off though? Did they actually use it? Uh, they loved it. <laughs> However, there was a structural problem with the main base of it. So now I've got to pack uh. it back up and send it off and ask for another one. So I'm like, oh my gosh. But they loved it for like the hour and a half they played with it. So, you know, mm-hmm. what can you do? We got a brand new like swing for the tree in the backyard and I'm just staring at the box like how like my husband works like 11 hours a day. I have a herniated disc like who is going can you get a task rabbit to hang a swing from a tree? I don't know. You know, this is the kind of thing. So every time we have like a major project, me and grandma was like, you know, it's like I don't have a 14 foot ladder. Like, would would it be convenient? Yes. My dadgum neighbor, (laughs) love him so much, has all these, like, random tools and things. And he's all the time, like, like, we're going over there. And he's so kind. He's let us borrow. Like, he actually does have a 14-foot ladder because we have, like, (laughs) our chandelier is, like, 20 feet in the air. We had to change the bulbs out. And it's, like, little random things like that. So that is why it's nice to live next to, like, an 80-year-old man (laughs) who has a, like, you know, of whatever things at your own beck and call i live next to a couple 80 year olds but they they they're barely hanging on to be honest with you (laughs) good point mine is like the most we every single time like i will be driving down the neighborhood and we'll see him walking and then i'm like oh my gosh like he is uh maybe not 100 percent more active than me but a lot more anyways it's a grammy a bonnie type Anyways, moving on. Well, let's talk about Anxious People, which was written by Frederick Bachman. But I think it is important to note that this book was originally written in Swedish. And then it was translated by, I think the guy's name is Neil Smith. Um, And I'll get to 
what I think about that later. But premise. You want to go try the premise? Should I try the premise? Uh, I don't mind trying. This is, but I will preface this by saying this is very hard. This book is character driven. There's around eight different characters. The main, um, the main point is that there is a botched bank robbery gone wrong. There is a father son um, police duo trying to figure out how did the bank robber go missing. There's seven, seven hostages that come out um, and that the book is a series, like a catalog of trying to solve this like main problem and also going into a lot deeper um, things within each character's personal lives. And there, there's a lot of layers and yeah, that's the best I can do. What am I missing? Do you remember probably in like the early 2000s, there were all these movies that came out within like a three or five year period where there was just these sprawling stories like traffic was one of them. Um, There was one called Babel that came out that had uh, Brad Pitt in it. And I think traffic wanted it won an Oscar and I think Babel won an Oscar anyway it's just like these broad scoping stories and it seems like all these people are unrelated and then at the end you see how all their lives like weave in and out it was like a total trend and it's the book is not exactly like that because these people are right up underneath each other and interacting the whole entire story however it's kind of the opposite of that where as the book unfolds you see how their lives intersect in different ways oh totally and almost in every character there's like two the author is phenomenal at slowly peeling everything back he doesn't lay it all out on the table up until the final page you just don't know exactly how it's going to go yeah and for that i am ready to jump into rating (laughs) i want to know what you gave this book okay so I really was going back and forth. Um, I was on the edge. I'm going to give this book three and a half stars. I think it's worth reading, especially if you like quirky, character-driven pieces. But there was a there were parts of it that felt a little clunky to me. And honestly, it was a little slow to start. By the end, I was engrossed. And I would say it really hit a stride around... I don't know, halfway through, I, I listened to the audiobook. So maybe five hour, like with five hours to go, I don't really remember how far I was in the book, but um, maybe halfway through, I really got into it. And I was like, I, I told you that I, I cranked through a bunch of chores last night listening to it. And I wanted to continue to listen to it. But we were kind of running up against a deadline for the podcast. And I just, it was hard to motivate myself today to really like plug it in and finish it. Like it wasn't something that I was like, oh, I have to know what happens. Um, And then at the very end when, when he kind of pulls out another twist that I wasn't expecting, it kind of revved that engine for me a little bit more. But yeah, so I I did like it, but it wasn't, you know, the best book I've ever read. Gotcha. And so for my review, I'm going to give it a very solid four stars. When we, when I completely agree with your assessment at the very beginning, you texted me 
and said, you are 22 <laughs> chapters in and nothing happened. This book has 74 chapters. It's And a lot of those are like, it's one or two pages. Yeah, don't, it's but, totally like a stylistic choice. Don't let it scare right, you. Right, it's not, the, the book is like 336 pages, I think. Mm-hmm. So, I, and I can, I just agree with, it was just so slow. I wish it would, I mean, you can't cut that out and I see why. Like you said, it's just a choice. But yeah, um, it took me a minute to get into it. I maybe if I would have like got this from the library, I can I can see myself just kind of returning it. But yeah. you're right. Once you when it hits a certain point and it unveils a couple things, I had to finish it. And by the time I got to the end, I had a smile on my face and I was really happy. <laughs> and so it it I kind of waffled on a bit. I think a solid four stars for me. One thing I will say. I would like 90% of the characters in this book are incredibly off-putting, like so irritating. And he did an amazing magic trick of pulling out the humanity of at least 75% of them by the end of the story, which we can go deeper in. But that was like something I was like, there is no, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to set these people up as terrible and then have me relate to them by the end. And there's no way you're going to do it because these people are awful. <laughs> but I mean, he did, he did do a good job, but I, ugh, well, like, well, I'm teetering on spoilers here, but right. <laughs> um, it, I felt like he went a little overboard on that. Um, I also, I, I was just going to say, because I listened to it and because I had to rush like sprint through the end, I do feel like that sucked a little of the joy out of it for me. So maybe that's my own fault. Interesting. So one of my main points that I want to talk about, and I'll get more in depth when we get there, to me, there's so many characters, so many. Yes. To me, he really managed to flesh them out very well, in my opinion, considering how short the book was and how many, every single character with the exception of, I think, one person who has like a very, very small point or mm-hmm. at, at the very beginning of the book, you found out so much about each one. And I really was like able to separate each one. None of them kind of bled into one another. Yeah. And I was really like, that takes so much talent. I've read so many books that only have two or three main characters. And you still like feel like this sense of, you know, the author just didn't go there where he really did. So I'm like, this man, you're talented. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I, admire it. I, I agree. Um, this genre is probably my absolute favorite. I read a lot of this, like, you know, modern fiction and I love character driven books, um, that have kind of quirky plot lines. I think I'm a harsher critic because I love them so much. And I've just gotten off of reading two different Kevin Wilson books. Kevin Wilson is like a master to me at these like quirky, weird character pieces and also, if you like Jonathan Safran Foer, who um, wrote Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, and a bunch of other books that are amazing, I feel like this is a book that you would also like, but maybe, like, Jonathan and Kevin are, like, one tier up or, like, a half of a tier up, which leads me to ask you, did you notice anything with it being a translated book? I would say there were a couple things that fell flat for me. Mm-hmm. And whenever I was 
reading it, that's exactly what I thought. Where I was like, okay, this must just be a language barrier, or there's you know there's there's something here that maybe sounded great. Yeah. In, in Swedish, Swedish. <laughs> right? But once it was in English, so no, I completely agree. It wasn't too often that I felt that way, but yeah, I definitely hit. There was maybe four or five points where I was kind of like, "Hmm, that's odd," but okay. That well, and that actually played a lot into what fell a little flat for me and why I didn't give it four stars. Because it was things that I was like, why did you do this? Like, why did the translator not say gun instead of pistol, for example? It really (laughs) bothered me. It really bothered me. And I get that they're supposed to be in Stockholm or not Stockholm. That's like they don't like Stockholm. But (laughs) um, they're supposed to be in Sweden. But they're speaking like Americans in the book. Like they're definitely have translated this for a an English speaking audience. So I felt like the vernacular was a little wonky and like they kept saying like, am I mad? Which it's not a period novel. And so that was like weird. (laughs) Um, And yeah, there's just like a a few little turns of phrase where I was like, please, you got to done better. (laughs) So listen, so this might play into, should you read it or should you listen to it? Because I feel like you probably picked up on that more because you listened to it because a couple of those I didn't, because I was reading it. I mean, you know, maybe that, maybe right. it's just because I was also kind of speed reading it as well. But so um, what do you think? What do you do? So when I first downloaded this book, I was so pleased because the narrator is Marin Ireland, who is in my top five narrators. Um, she also did Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. I actually preferred her narr- her narration in that book. Um maybe because she did like a really great array of Southern accents and that's hard to pull off. But in this book, at first I was like, Oh, Marin, don't let me down. And then I realized it's just the book. The book was slow to start. So she was doing her absolute best by the time she was weaving in and out of all the different characters and their personalities and their different accents and differentiating them. She did an amazing job. Like a woman that can sell you Zara, the rich, you know, lunatic lady, and do Estelle in the same breath, like the old crone. She did a flawless job. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, There were a few things because there's so many twists in this book that I, I, I don't know if I don't know if it would have helped if I was reading it or not. I guess it would have helped that I could have flipped back and been like, oh. Did they use that pronoun earlier or did I just forget or you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So that that was a I mean, it wasn't like a like a game changing thing, but there were a certain a few certain things where I was like, wait a second. Did I just assume this or did they really paint it like that? And we'll get we'll get to that later. But it was a solid audiobook. Interesting. I loved having the book for the exact reason that you're saying as things are unveiled, I absolutely was flipping back and being like, wait a minute, because, I, you know, the same mm-hmm. thought process as you. Um, and normally, I will say an audiobook for me is better for my personal life, where I really could have, pro- you know, it would have been better yeah. for me to just listen to it with an audiobook. But I really enjoyed having the book for this one. So, mm, I guess, you know, take well, a grain of salt. And don't get it twisted. Let's hear it for Lacey that read this book in like 24 hours. <laughs> Last, let me just say, 
last night I laid up in my bed. I flipped the book open for the first time. This is how Dad Gum Born the book was. I was like 15 <laughs> pages in and I fell asleep. Uh. You know, like we, we talked about Verity, which had the insane like open and scene, and then you're immediately like engrossed. Not this book. I enjoyed this book so much. But yeah. But you, know. you, you got <laughs> to see it. You got to see it through, my boy. You exactly. got to see it through. <laughs> and do not be tired. Do not lay in your bed, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Okay. We have spent like the most we've ever spent without talking about a book. Are we missing anything? Are we ready to jump into spoilers? I, I think we're ready. Let's rip off the Band-Aid and see if we can even keep this straight. Okay. For starters, we've got Jim and we've got Jack. I will say, anytime a dadgum author writes, like characters that intertwine with one another and they have the same letter, or the, what am I trying to say? The same it's, first letter. It drives me crazy. Freaking it is such annoying. a small thing. Yeah. It is such a small thing. So I'm like, y'all. You could have done Tim. You didn't have to do Jim. You could, I about said Pack. Whatever. You could have done anything. But, you know. I don't know. They're Swedish. Maybe their name could have been Tack. Stop. <laughs> There's somebody named Canute. <laughs> so this father-son duo, I will say I really, I really like them. They, there was so much of the book talked about this, like, kind of cultural divide cultural generational divide between like young or you know 20 year olds and like 50 year olds and I just was like that is so true when it talked about how the father was painstakingly tapping the keyboard like dot 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 and then his son like sits down and he's tapping up a report and he's just like going to town I'm like the <laughs> this is me and my father it's absolutely like the generation that like didn't have computers and the generation mm-hmm. that's like had a f- iPhone in their back pocket since they've, you know, been on the road kind of thing. So there was, I enjoyed so many elements of them. So this is the one kind of couple. There's lots of couples in this book of various, you know, relationships, but this is the one couple that was not my absolute fave. And I'm sorry, Marin, but this is the only one where I was like, Oh, I don't love your narration around this. And some of her choices, I think that she went really extreme with, um, Jim as the son, right? Jack is the son. Jack is the son, whatever son, was constantly extremely exasperated with his father, which I understand. But she she just was a little heavy-handed and it made me like very frustrated. I don't like when people are I don't like when anyone is rude and nasty to their very good-hearted parent. But like I also get being exasperated and annoyed with your parent, especially if you work with them. So again, maybe that would have been better for me if I had read it well and that's interesting too so the book it talks about Jack is he's new in his profession he's still really wanting to prove himself so whenever this case kind of falls into their lap it's the day before a holiday they talk constantly about how in Sweden New Year's Eve and New Year's it's such a big like everybody you know you're all out drinking it's like this big fun holiday I was kind of thinking it's the equivalent of like a 4th of July for America and yeah. like how everybody kind of like parties hard and it's super fun and so the dad's just kind of like yeah whatever we got this case here and the son's like oh look we need to solve this and I loved the father so much because he kept 
looking at his son and being like, you know what? You're so good hearted. And he knew like he didn't want him to be a police officer, but his son had witnessed a really traumatic um, event where he watched someone, by the way, trigger warning, I guess mm-hmm. it talks a lot about suicide in this book. Um, but anyways, so he talks about like how his son witnessed somebody. Um, he, he tried to talk him literally tried to talk someone off a ledge didn't work and as he was a teenager he saw somebody jump in and then like a week later he saw someone else doing it, the teenage girl and he was able to save her and through that kind of act of rescuing somebody it really kind of put him in a position where he was like you know what I want to do this for a living and so I loved the dynamic of like the father to the son because like how often is it where it's like you love your kids so much and they just kind of <laughs> you know they yeah they and they don't understand it i remember they made me think about my old mom my mama before i, I remember <laughs> i don't even know what the situation was one day i had done something and she like really really broke down and i was like a hard-hearted like you know probably 17 or 18 and she was like you know what you're not gonna realize the things that i do for you until you're a parent and there one day whenever i I had like my twins. I really like that thought came up to my mind and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's right. So this book, in other words, for me was like that validate and like, yeah, okay, I get it. Jack was really sweet. And that's why, yeah, that's why I was like, <laughs> I think you mean, <laughs> you mean Jim? <laughs> no, Jim. Gosh, dang it. Jim, Jim Beam, Beam, Beam. Right. <laughs> Whoever is the father and Jack Daniels is the son. <laughs> so there's like a solid, um, I don't know. Is there like probably 10 different characters in this book? So maybe we should just go through all the characters characters and talk about their arc. So basically, you know, Jim and Jack are doing their best to solve this case. And so they're, uh, it starts by them interviewing all of the different people who were involved because the, that was, this is the other weird quirk. They kept saying the robber or the bank robber. And I'm like, who would say robber? Like, say thief. I don't know. It was strange. I mean, I get bank robber, but as the story kind of progresses and the bank robber didn't actually rob a bank or didn't actually <laughs> take anything, it was all that, that was all put for me where it's like yeah. attempted robber. <laughs> right. Like I, I don't know. Ro- the word robber was just very like childlike to me. But maybe that's the point because. The robber was like a goofball. I mean, had no idea what they were doing. Anyway, so the first person or one of the first people that they interview is London, who is a horrible character. Holy crap. This She is the bank teller. She's like the only one that doesn't get any redemption. And she doesn't yes. deserve it, I guess. Yeah. She was the only one, and that's what I was talking about in the beginning, that, that they didn't really flesh her out. It was just like yeah. a real quick... She she speaks at the very beginning of the book. I completely forgot about her. The last like fifteen pages, it mentions her again. So like she, there's nothing between mm-hmm. like the majority of the book. So she basically is twenty years old. The <laughs> I did cr- I cracked up and like a this would like this is so tropey and over the top and would never happen right during the police interviews. Every police interview was like this, where it was like they were all so. It was like a trope within a trope because it was a pattern throughout the entire book where I'm like, give me a break. They were so blatantly like, 
you know, like they're like, okay, we need information. Oh, you need information. You need information, huh? <laughs> yeah. You need, you know, you're like, just give me information. Like, right. They were in all of them. <laughs> so yeah. disrespectful, so unhelpful, so strange in the way that they interact with the police. Every, yeah, all of them. Um, London was really like serving uh, Aubrey Plaza vibes. I always get her name wrong. Is her name Audrey? Is her name? Her name is Aubrey. Maybe oh, I got that right. Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> I, I, anyway. You know what? We'll get corrected for it because I remember. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Um, not to mention names. Okay. Then you have the other most terrible character in this book, I guess I would say, oh, is man. Zara. Zara is like the prototypical ice queen um, career woman. She's like in her early 50s and she is cold and heartless and rude and terrible. <laughs> you know, when it uh, so when it got to talking more and more about her, she was very specific about things like she despised nastiness and clutter yeah. and, and filth and d- like different little, like it mentioned almost like this like OCD type patterns. But I also was thinking like, is he trying to write this in a way? I'm trying to remember what was specifically that I thought. I was thinking about like, um, oh my gosh, now it's so it's my mind, like a disorder where well, like I think a, she maybe had like Asperger's, like she's an Aspie. Really? See, I totally was thinking more like, not bipolar, but more like a, almost like, like a, a narcissist so- or sociopath or something. Oh, no, I'm tr- I literally had it exactly on my brain, and I can't. I'm have to sit back and think on it. But okay. yeah, definitely had like weird vibes where yeah, totally not neurotypical. I guess is probably the best. Yeah. Way to put it. So Zara's whole arc here is that you get the perspective of her in the apartment where so to go back the ro- the bank robber tries to rob a bank it's a cashless bank tries to escape the police runs into an apartment building ends up running into an apartment where they're doing a showing and so she is like forced to hold all these people hostage even though she really doesn't want to kind of thing and so they're all interacting and like kind of running all over each other and then this is the aftermath of them getting okay. interviewed I've got to break this up to tell you something, something, a verbal translation that cracked me up so hard. They didn't call it a showing. They called it a viewing. Oh my gosh. Listen, yes. Kippen, when I heard viewing, I thought somebody died. I that, know. That is what we, maybe everybody is, but people in the South, that is what you call like a wake. Yes. When someone has died and you invite the family and friends to go to the funeral home the day before the actual funeral. So every time it read viewing, I'll, absolutely it was that was one thing that i was like what very (laughs) very jarring to me very jarring to me if you are not from the south i need someone to let us know do you say viewing does viewing mean the same thing because half the time i'm like maybe it's just a cultural thing i just don't know i i feel like wake is very southern but I don't know. I mean, what a, what the heck else do you call a viewing? I don't know. I don't listen. But it, but, but they call I call it, it I'm not coming. <laughs> I don't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, only for close, close friends and family. But yes. anyway. Okay. Yes. So, so you get Zara's perspective in the in the, you know, being held hostage. Robbery. Right. But you also get a lot of her talking to her therapist. 
And she basically goes to therapy just to like insult her therapist. I could not figure out why this therapist kept her on as a client. She like really wants sleeping pills. That's why she's there. But I also feel like, I don't know, you can tell that the, I mean, he definitely keeps the diagnosis out of it for a reason because her therapist even says like, you know, if I put this, this, and this together, it's very clear to me what Zara is. Right. And I'm like, but what is she? So this is another thing where, so we've got Zara as the hostage. We have Zara with her therapist. Then, of course, there's also in the book, maybe like halfway through, it mentions that Zara knows this woman, her therapist, Nadia, Mm -hmm. outside of therapy. And then it weaves in this story. So we talked about how Jack rescued a teenage woman from the ledge. Like this was the person, the second person that he saw that he was able to rescue. That was Nadia. Well, Zara had came up right afterwards and had basically like she'd left some kind of like her wallet or something. So she found her personal information. So we find out she had been keeping up with her career and her life. And so there were so many different times, like when it mentioned the sleeping pills, I was like, is this a lie? Because she clearly wanted to be involved in Nadia's life. Mm -hmm. She, you know, she kind of like couldn't get away from that. So I was like, is that just a ruse? Well, and so I think the word you were searching for is sociopath. Like it's, I'm mean, cause it's like antisocial has no friends, no conscience and has no idea, like cannot, uh, f- like I, has no empathy for other people. But at the same time, I also went Asperger's because it's almost like she's an alien visiting our planet. Like she has an interest and a vested interest in Nadia, but you're right. Maybe like she can't figure out any other way to connect with her. I guess too, with the sociopath, I kind of associate that with almost like a negative. So maybe that is kind of like my own thing where it's like, she didn't, she didn't necessarily have ill will. Like she just, she wasn't like a nice person, but she wasn't like, like, for instance, we talked, we specifically called, what is her name? Again, Verity, again, we talked mm-hmm. a lot about like that, you know, in that context. And that was like, had a lot to do with like some extreme things where she was just kind of like a biatch sometimes, right? you know, where it's like, like, you're right. It wasn't, she just wasn't empathetic. <laughs> she wasn't showing <laughs> empathy, but she wasn't also like downright cruel. She was a little backbiting, but yeah, so there's. I don't know. She was really mean to the police officers. She called them idiots like a hundred billion times. But then when you circle back and then at the end, they're all trying to cover for this bank robber. It's like, were they all just being like that? Like extra chaotic to throw them off the scent? Maybe. Um, I absolutely think so. Because otherwise, I mean, because they all filed in and went that same way. But okay. We have so many characters to go through. I know. uh, Okay. So then next we have um, a, a couple that was a part of the showing was Julia and Roe. Julia and Roe are um, two women who are married who are expecting a baby. They're in like the eighth month of pregnancy. Julia is the, it's very aggressive. She's real quick to say something. She is so absolutely sick of torn apartments. They have toured around 20 and she's ready to put in an offer on a home. Roe, 
in the meantime, um, talks a lot about her, um, her father, who she really relied on for everything. He has dementia. She's not able to kind of, um, not able to, you know, use them in the same way that she typically would for advice and things. And the two of them are bickerers to the utmost degree. <laughs> Cannot stop fighting. They love each other so much, but they're just majorly fighters. Fighters. Well, I, I felt so bad too because Ro is probably the one character that from the beginning I just kind of liked her even though she's quirky and like has her faults and eats a lime with the rind on <laughs> whatever she does so sick would you like for um, me to tell you that my aunt does <laughs> ma'am <laughs> limes and lemons baby whole thing <laughs> okay well, I really liked Ro, and so I found myself siding with her a lot, and I'm just like, Julia, lay the freak off. My gosh, you are the problem. Don't use pregnancy as an excuse, sweetie, because we all been there. I don't yeah. know. Well, she taught, like, Julia refers to herself as a nagger, but, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, I am sorry, I am a nagger. It is it's one of those, it's one of my personal um, Achilles heels where I can recognize it. But at the same time, it is so hard. Like, it's like, I just have to say it, you know, so anyways, do you, I, I related. Do you really think that you are a naggy person or do you just feel like all women are like pigeonholed as being naggy because we're so responsible for everything that happens in our family's life and like shepherding mm. these dum-dums through life? That is a great point. Honestly, I agree. I will say I agree with both halves. Where the first half, yeah, I by nature, like if something, I can't tell you how many times I've had to work on myself, and sometimes it is better to just shut up. Yeah, and that is so freaking hard for me. Where if I feel like I've got it, like if I feel like I have to say something, you know what I mean? It's like it burns right. me up. Like I've just got to say it. But at the same time, you're right. Where a lot of the times it's like, oh, I shouldn't have to say this, but yeah. I'm gonna say this. Cause I have to, or like, you know, makes no sense. So I mean, you know. I, I, I'm right there with you. And I, I say that because I'm naggy, but I just feel like every woman I talk to would Feels. describe herself as that way. And I'm just like, hold on a freaking tick. Like part of this is not our fault. Like we do need to do self-work and I definitely have, I mean, it's not perfect, but like part of it is just setting boundaries and then walking away. Like, <laughs> just saying stuff once or whatever but yeah i i i don't know it's interesting like that that stereotype but julia and roe classic um type eight type seven (laughs) relationship on the enneagram i also like that roe was like this super hobbyist and was like constantly like (laughs) i'm gonna make cheese now i'm gonna get into cabinetry and i thought that was like kind of a cute little quirk but and also, like, extremely annoying. I can see why that would drive you crazy. They Their bickering was to the extent where I'm like, how are these people even together? Well, and that's, I like that kind of how they explored all these kind of things mm-hmm. where it was like, why are they bickering? And then at the end of the day, it's like, both of them are very overwhelmed by what is happening next with their life, with having this new child. Yeah. Uh, Julia's mom was a was abused by her father and like you know what I mean so it's like she has that and then 
Roe apparently was an immigrant who escaped an extreme situation. Like they talked about how they had mm-hmm. to uh, actually, I will say I loved how they brought in like a, like a very grounded point. Roe is this like super fun and like enjoyable person. You're right. She's like right away. You like her. And then you find out like a backstory that's like, she had like a really traumatic um, upbringing and experience. And it's like, I loved how that kind of like leveled her out kind of thing. I, I loved the moment where they were talking about like how Roe has a really silly and almost like childish sense of humor, like fart jokes and just like being silly all the time and not taking life too seriously, but that it was important for them when they had nothing to still be able to like get through the day. And so sometimes that's all they had are those like really basic human moments. And it without that, like, life couldn't have been endured and I was like wow that is a perspective I've never thought about before talk about profound yes that's that's what I mean where there are so many different times like we didn't even go into like Jim and Jack Jim right yeah. <laughs> we're like talk about like their the mom that had like mm-hmm. that was a priest but at the same time was like a realistic person where it's like yeah she was a do-gooder but she loved a dirty joke and it's like oh my gosh like how many times have you when you envision like a religious person it's like you, you know you can't even fathom that they might even like have any sort of interest other than like totally whole and clean and like mm-hmm. you know pu- purity you know and so I was like oh my gosh like I loved how it really brought out this like the duality of people where it's like, that's exactly what people are like. There's no one dimensional person. So right off my soapbox. (laughs) Now, next you have Annalena and Roger who are an older retired couple who like flip apartments. Um, I, I loved how their story unfolded because they, he totally writes it as like this prototypical, um, overbearing husband and anxiety ridden submissive submissive henpecking wife who like I mean I'm sorry but we all know someone who rambles on and on and on because they're so used to no one listening to them anyway like (laughs) and that is Annalena and like no one taking her seriously but then by the end of the book it's revealed that like she was the career woman. She had like this amazing job and was so well respected in her office because of her different talents. What whereas Roger kind of had to take a back seat his whole career and he was like a really hands-on dad. Um, but then now they're empty nesters and he feels like very uh it, it was more of a role that you usually see a woman in where they're just like totally untethered because what, what drives them is now gone. Right. And I loved how, whenever it kind of revealed that, where it was, it really talked about Anna, Lena, where she was like, you know what? It's time for you to like live your dream now. Like, what do you want to do? Where I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like that is, it's not exactly what you want in a spouse and a partner is like somebody that like you will let them shine and succeed and whenever the table, like, and then at some point you let the, the tables turn and they let you shine and succeed. Yeah. Well, I'm like, that's exactly what you, like, I feel a tear in my eye. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I really it was, was moved. it was also really impactful that they clearly loved each other so much and they did lots of like very sweet romantic things for each other. But at the same time, they were both convinced that they were like about to lose this person in their life because they just, 
couldn't find a way to connect directly, like through um, words. And so Annalena loves Ikea and they go, they end up going to like every single Ikea at some point. And at the mm-hmm. last one, Roger like orders a slice of cake and, you know, insists that they both get a slice of cake so they can celebrate it. And it says because he recognizes that it's like this crowning moment for her that she's conquered all the Ikea's. But then you see it through Annalena's eyes and she's like, and I knew it was because he was so excited. We never had to go again. And he just like, he was so over it and blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, wow, how many times do we just think the absolute worst? Like, we think that someone just hates our guts, even when <laughs> they love us. I don't know. You know, there is what there was a point where it talked about this story where um, Roger woke up and he was watching like one of his favorite politicians, and it was like very like oh, anti. Yeah. It was anti-immigrant. Um, and then later throughout the day, she talks about how her husband waited twenty minutes to like. Uh, whenever someone asked for their spot there so to park their car on like a super busy day and at one point julia is like you know what i don't want to hear the rest of the story because she knows where it's going to go and like she doesn't want to hear you know because she's married to an immigrant and then annalena not listening goes on plows through and then tells the story where what happened where <laughs> like what? do i feel emotional <laughs> this is what i mean where i enjoyed this book where what actually happened is a man and his kids, he's like, hey, can I have this spot? And Roger waits 20 minutes for the man to go to his car and make his way back up there so he can give him the spot. And I was like, how, you know, like you've seen your spouse do small little tiny things like that. Mm -hmm. And doesn't it literally make you love them so much more? It doesn't have to be they save somebody from jumping off the ledge, but it's like you do a small act of kindness and you're like, oh my gosh, you're a great person. Like, I'm glad you're the person that I'm with that you want to do these tiny good things. Anyways. Totally. I started off like couldn't stand this loud mouth man and like annoying woman who were like (laughs) seeking for, you know, trying to get the best deal. But ended up just loving them. Totally. And um, mm, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> you were probably oh. going to talk about how they gave, how the, about the part, or about who they ended up giving the, um, what am I trying to say, the, the apartment to. How they right. were like, I loved how they were like this like power couple that was like, okay, we're going to go in, we're going to talk about the mold, <laughs> we're going to find every single problem. And then, oh. like, though they wanted to drive a hard bargain, they were like, you know what? Um, people about to have children, you know, like you guys should have this place. I was touched. Well, I think what I was going to say is that so many of these things that we're saying sound really tropey, like, but the man was the stay at home parent or whatever. But the way that he does it is really artful and you don't see it coming. You really don't like, and maybe that's why he took so long in the beginning to kind of draw it out to make you kind of like lure you into thinking it was one type of book. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really cool how he did it. I really enjoyed that part of it. And I like, I love being genuinely, su- genuinely surprised. That's like one of my favorite things in this world. So yeah. love and, that. and what's so interesting, as you can see, we've sat here and talked and talked. It's not about like the bank robbery. The bank right. robbery just kind of like brings them all together, but it's really just about these different people and how they live and coexist with other people. And I mm. really enjoy that. Okay, but we're still skipping people. So Leonard is <laughs> the most yes. ridiculous, over-the-top character. 
Right. So, you know, partway through, they discover there's another person in the apartment that nobody knew was there. He's in the bathroom. It's this man that's just wearing underwear and a giant bunny head. Um, I definitely pictured like a furry costume, like a mascot <laughs> head. And for most of the book, that suck that thing is on his head because he can't get it off. And you find out that Annalena has been paying this guy Leonard to show up at all of these viewings and make like a really big stink and a scene so that nobody else wants to buy the apartment so that Roger can then go in and get it for a great deal. And it just like kills Roger's confidence that he actually hasn't been wheeling and dealing the way he thinks he has been. Um, I liked the chaotic uh element not that this book needed any more chaos but like the pure absurdity of leonard was really good in this book um there's a lot of like like you said there's suicide there's you know abuse and other things that happen but he he balances it really well with the levity oh totally and make the I'm trying to think, is there any, may- oh, maybe one of the biggest points about him is like he kind of seems to get into Zara's life. Zara, who's super cut off and, you know, the whole time in therapy, like her therapist is like, okay, she really just needs, uh, like she's lonely. She just needs a friend. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of ends up being like the one person that kind of tries to bridge the gap between like her insane, like off putting this and like trying to actually achieve that so that's kind of like maybe his only what do you what do you think makes them connect my first thought is that he's so shameless that he doesn't (laughs) like he doesn't he's not phased by her abrasiveness because he's like doesn't give a crap about anything he just does his own thing constantly yeah i guess you're right i just also thought he was just so eccentric that it was just kind of like maybe he missed the cues like how many people (laughs) Like, a, a, like if this was a true job, which I'm guessing maybe it, you know, maybe it is. Right. Like, he just. I, Listen, I, mean, I saw somebody on Instagram the other day that was advertising that they are a professional bridesmaid. Listen, honey. I saw, what? Did I say that to you or did you say that to me? Because I saw I this too. I don't know. And I was How like, hard Whoa. up are you for like. Um, I don't know symmetry in your wedding pictures that you're willing to hire a bridesmaid, but I I, I believe anything anymore. You're right. I'm sure. I was thinking about the guy that talked about in one of the pod. Oh, Dirty John. His dad used to make him eat glass at a restaurant <gasps> so that he could sue. Um, oh my gosh. You know, and get money. But anyways. Okay, have we hit all the characters? No, the we realtor. The realtor. We also need to do Estelle, which is funny oh because gosh. everyone always forgets Estelle in the book, and then we just forgot Estelle. Okay, let's do her last. Okay, okay. Uh, basically, the real estate lady. All I really got from her is House Tricks. Is yeah, the name of her co- House Tricks um, Enterprises real- or whatever it's called, yeah. real estate, and then. They try to do this like pun where it's like how apostrophe mm-hmm. s tricks, right? Like, how tricks, and I just kept being like, that <laughs> fell so beyond flat. It really did for me, too. And there was nothing there, especially because in the narration, she sounds like this, <laughs> which I mean, I'm sure she probably would, but it was so grating. I'm just like, 
dear lord please and she, and she's the first person out of the gate that's like your well, first i think i was gonna say i thought exposure. she was after london and the two of them together oh. when i first you know when i'm yes london who's like the most like stupid and idiotic character mm-hmm. and then it's her who's like maybe the next most stupid <laughs> idiotic character where i'm like what is going on here truly like, no real people It almost torpedoed the book for me. And that's why, again, I had to take away that half star because if it wasn't for the podcast, (laughs) Kiffin may not have endured. And obviously this is a lesson that I need to push through, but we're, you know, I did and then it paid off, but it really, I was just like, I can't handle, I, I can't handle another 10 chapters of this garbage. Like I hate these people. I'm trying to think. So did anything really happen with her other than she hid in the... No, not really. Like, she... I thought it was really funny that, you know, Jack thinks that he's got it in the end. And I I thought he had had it. Like, I thought I for sure that's who it was. So I was like, cool. I like, again, a nice little twist. Um, You've got... We haven't done the robber herself. Yeah. Well, let's do a stale and then let's get the robber because she's going to be the most big, yeah. harder to talk about. So Estelle is this like little old lady and then you realize by the end of the book it's actually her apartment that everybody's in that she's listed and she's just super sweet and super lonely and wanted some company for the holiday. Um, Anyway, she's like a very calming presence within the book. A bit of not only uh, calming but like very wholesome and happy relationship energy because you have so many troubled couples in this book it was nice to have her talk about her dead husband um as like they had such a positive relationship it's funny that you say that though because that was like one of the things like she kept being like nut is that is that how you pronounce her husband's name so that's how it's spelled in the audio they called him canute okay because I kept being like, nut. Okay, well, Canute. She keeps saying how Canute is driving okay. and like parking or whatever. Yeah. And then like, you know, halfway through, it's like actually he's dead. And I was like, what? Like, mm-hmm. so constantly these weird little, like the the narrator, you just continually see they're um, unreliable. They're not telling you the full truth. They're right. not even telling you the truth. Like, it's just whatever. Oh, and she played it off so well. It's like, oh let's look in this box and see if there's any wine in here. They're like, Estelle, how did you know? And she's like, well, if I was going to hide my liquor out of of viewing, this is where I'd do it. And you're like, oh, Estelle, you're so silly. (laughs) And then come to find out. It's just hers. Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. So we have the bank robber. Does she ever have a name? I don't think it even names her, does it? Uh, no, it's either the robber or the elk. So <laughs> one, oh. of the, one of the clues they find is like this child's drawing of her and, that her daughter did. But can you please che- like check it for me? One of the big twists is that the whole time you think it's a man and then in the end it's a woman. Exactly. Did yeah. they say him? Did they say he? They do say him and he. So the reason for this it's because of the unreliable narrator. Well, Jim, right? uh-huh. Jim, Jim goes up 
uh, against his son's wishes and goes right. up and, and talks to her at, at the beginning at the beginning of the hostage situation. He goes upstairs. Yeah. He sees that it's a woman. The woman reminds him of his daughter. His daughter is an mm-hmm. addict. He um, never sees her, but he loves her so much. And he just kind of, he feels compassion for this woman. Yeah. So when he goes downstairs, he tells his son it was a man. Totally lies. Okay. To give her the opportunity to get away. So because J- or Jack believes it is a man, they're all like laying in this like, you know, male um, element. And I believe makes sense. even in the, the, oh my gosh, what are those called? The interviews, they never, they evade the question so hard. That's why it's like, okay, like um, you're 87. Right. Yeah, I'm 87. 87 years old. Yes, 87 today. You know, it's like just anything to like get away from like a direct. Right. They're going around and around and around. Right. So, you know, anyways, that's why, yeah, we believe it's a man. Yes. Comes to find out it's a woman. She kind of tells her story where she has a, or she has two daughters and they just go by monkey and um, frog. And Mm -hmm. the the picture they find is an elk, a monkey and a frog, which is the, the mother and her two daughters and their like respective animal. The husband has left her for her boss. She mm-hmm. loses her job. The husband kicks her out of the home. She has nothing. She, I'm trying to remember, she somehow she scrapes up enough money for one month's rent. She yeah. can't find that second month. Right. I mean, the way that they go into it, it's very like, you're like, but how, but how, but how? And it, I mean, it's very realistic. It's like, okay, she gets a job, but it's a temp job. And it's also like a delayed payment. So she's not going to get paid for two months. And yeah. it's, you know, nobody will lend her a short-term loan because she probably doesn't have any credit in her name because she was married for all these years and on and on and on. And it's really sad. And it's also, it's very realistic. And she ends up trying to rob this bank for this exact amount of money that she needs to cover her rent with like this fake pistol the pistol was fake right i have to say i don't know she at one point though i will say the narrator says it's not real or, or yeah. me, the the bank robber <laughs> says it's not real <laughs> yeah but then the final chapter they talk they, about how someone stole a pistol so i think well there's also a I bullet in the wall remember there's a oh, bullet yeah, in the wall so yeah, i guess it was real, real. yeah it, it it's one of those weird points that i didn't understand why they went back and forth on it because it's like what would this matter because even if you have a pretend gun at least right. here like the intent is that it's real and so yeah the motive you know what i mean yeah so well and again with all these like twists and turns in the narr like when i was listening to it for a long time i'm like why are they obsessed with where is the robber because i at some point it talks about how they find blood on the floor and then it must be that the robber shot themselves but then you realize that's like that's just what jack assumed happened i thought like they're they're laying in the closet or something and so i was confused as to why he was like obsessed over finding the person does do you know what i mean like it was it was just like me not listening for probably 10 seconds and then missing right. that missing one yeah <laughs> one so key it, element yeah so like it's uh, i i would say read it honestly <laughs> you need to you need to read it this there are, and there's just so many different pieces where you're right. If you just miss one thing, there were constantly 
you know, like the fact that like, so it talked about her mom. I didn't understand this for a little while in the book. She didn't fight for her um, house. She didn't really fight for anything. And I kept being like, hold on. I know. Listen, if the roles were <laughs> reversed and this is me, <laughs> I promise I will fight tooth and nail for every single thing. And it kept saying like how she didn't want chaos. And I was like, you know, right. what? I, I get it for your kids. I get, I get it. But at the same time, I'm not going to lose everything. But then it, it goes into like, you know, her mom was an addict and mm-hmm. all she knew in her life was chaos and she wanted to shield her children away. So it's like, okay, okay, okay. I also feel like they they go so they have this whole like trope thing where it's like, well, you would never rob a bank because this would never happen to you and you would never lose your job. And like all this stuff of trying to of you judging the character for her choices um, and it's pointing out that you're being judgmental in a way that you shouldn't. But I think the key element here is that she was totally blindsided and that at each step she tried to make the right choice and it was like the worst choice in some way. You know what I mean? It was like, I I don't think she thought there was any possible way that it would get that bad that fast. And you're right. We should probably mention that throughout the whole book, she's super aloof and kind of like a dunce. Where it's mm-hmm. like she, you know, she robs this cashless bank. She accidentally holds people hostage. She ends up <laughs> being the one. She opens the door and she doesn't have a mask on. And they ordered pizza. And it's right. like very, it's it's comical. It's like she's so bad. Somebody takes the gun away from her and she's just like, she's she's like laughing or not laughing, but she smiles and she's like, you're the worst bunch of hostages ever. Where it's like, yeah. you know, they, they. They become friendly. It's literally Kippen. Hold on. It's Stockholm syndrome. Yes, what- they even say that. It's like it's like <laughs> oh, no, Stockholm. It's like Stockholm is a place and blah, blah blah. But it's also a syndrome. I remember that little oh, line. Wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. Uh, the connection literally just made it in my mind. Oh my gosh! It's such a Stockholm and Now listen. Talk about the freaking dunce, Lacey Alexander. <laughs> well, it, also, and- it should have been obvious. It talks about Stockholm too. Stockholm is like the butt right. of like 50% of the jokes in this book where it's like they're ridiculous, like over the top, sensitive, um, in everything, you know, like in a negative light. So, well, and this is taking place in a pretty small town. Like, you know, this, this event of this guy jumping off the bridge at the beginning, um, it's not directly related to what happens to this woman later in the book who robs the bank, but it's such a small town that at first it's kind of unbelievable that all these people would have been touched by that moment or whatever. But then later you realize like, it's like a, Hey, this is the bridge that that guy jumped off. Like it's a huge moment in this town's history. And then this, this as well will go down in like town lore of, hey, remember when that guy held all these people hostage in that apartment kind of thing. Um, I will say it is just so telling how your perspective shifts when you know that she's a woman. Like, it's actually crazy to me how big of a difference that made to me of my perception of her. It's like all of a sudden it just made so much. I mean, it made everything click together and it's not that she's weak, but you do see how 
she could have just been blindsided and also just so meek, I guess. Meek is the right word as to let not let this happen, but as to be taken advantage of in this way by her ex-husband and like kind of by life. Yeah, and and she just really has no one. But and you're, I get it from like the the parent perspective where it's like you, ju- like she's she w- is willing to do anything to keep her daughters in her life. I don't even know if we mentioned it that her her husband also was like, you know, you don't have a job, you don't have a home. I'm going to take the girls away. I'm going to get sole custody. So it's like she is literally willing to rob a bank mm-hmm. and hold people hostage to be able to grasp at straws to do what she needs to do to be there for her kids the way that her parents couldn't be for her. So, you know, I'm, I'm working on this job right now for this woman. And she said a line um, in her interview that I was listening to that it, it just struck me like it was so perfect. And it reminds me of this book because she goes, how, what is that thing in your mind that you would do anything? Like she was talking about losing weight, right? Like you would do anything to lose weight. You would cut off your leg if it meant that you could drop that 50 pounds that you've been working on. And yet you can feel that and want that more than anything, but also go home at the end of the day and like order Mexican food and like eat a bunch of ice cream. And it's not like you purposely self-sabotage every single time, but it's very easy. It's human nature to think like just this one time won't make a difference. Does that make sense? And so I see like the robber being like, okay, this one little decision, this is going to make my kids feel more secure. And so I'm going to go along with it and it's going to be fine. But it's like, you know, just one time, just one time, just one time. And then your life is gone. Yeah. Oh man. And everything pretty much from like, from the start of the book, it's like everything for her is just accidental. It's not, there's no malicious or Mm -hmm. ill intent. She keeps on saying she only wants the 6,500. She will pay it back with interest. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's like she's not wanting Mm -hmm. to be like the bad guy. She just is in a bad situation and she she's scrambling well and zara has that whole line where it's like do you think bad people really know that they're bad people and most of the time it's like no it's like even the crooks of this world are probably thinking they're robin hood you know (laughs) i guess it's true it's it's your perception on yeah it's like I'm, i'm not hurting anyone like if i rob walmart and i don't hurt anybody right it's just you know, a corporation that's right scamming people. <laughs> exactly i don't know i i'm almost tempted to go back and give this a four stars because i did really like it but i just gotta i gotta ding it for that long drawn out beginning and just the little weird quirks with the the translation I was in such a big rush. There was a lot, a lot, a lot talking about um, parenthood, you know, where it talked back and forth. So it talked about Roger and um, Anna Lena, like, you know, their parents or their kids didn't want to have kids. And so they kind of felt this like, oh, man, like, you know, like we don't have a purpose or Roger really felt that way. And then Estelle, like her parents didn't or her kids and grandkids didn't want to pay her any attention. And she talked about how she felt like an ornament coming out like twice a year, Um, you know, Jim. Every like the reason that he hid 
this from Jack is because he wanted to do a good thing and she reminded him of his daughter who he couldn't reach. Mm-hmm. The bank robbers doing this and there was a, I wish I could have, I need to look through it and if I find it, I'll post it on the gram. But it was talking about like parenthood and like and motherhood specifically and like the things that you will do. And so I, I really enjoyed this because I loved how these like the themes it kept going back to. Another yeah. thing we haven't even touched on, I don't think, Zara who was a bank manager, she, it keeps going back. Yeah. And this this is probably maybe like the, the last big point that I could think of we need to talk about. It keeps going back to how she works at a bank. She's specifically a manager. And she's really stuck on this idea of like how banks are willing to loan people money and kind of be the shoulder that they need. You know what I mean? Like, okay, here, take this money. And whenever everything goes awry, the people lose the money. And the banks say, hey, I'm sorry you lost that money, but it's not our fault. Like, you chose to take the risk. You chose to invest poorly. Or, you know, you got the bad interest rate. It's not our fault. Like, we're absolved from this, and you're taking the hit. Yeah. And so uh, so this happens, and this is actually, it leads into the very beginning of the story when we find out the man jumped from the bridge. He had recently went, he had lost basically his life savings. He had two kids that he was, you know, like really wanting to put through school and these different things. And he got so depressed. And she told him, no, we're not loaning you money. Uh, um, There's also like a really sad analogy that went, (laughs) that was in the Mm -hmm. story. Um, Basically calling him like an idiot again. Another theme um, for, you know, like losing his money. And he jumped off the bridge. He leaves her a letter. And she can't find it within herself to open it for 10 years. She feels so guilt-ridden. And I think that's kind of like the switch of like, you know, I think she just kind of felt this like sense of what am I doing with my life where it's like, is any of this important kind of thing? Um, Yeah, yeah. Zara is so interesting. I think it would have been interesting to see what her child was childhood was like but then again nobody knows anything about her personality or her personal life so I mean that's definitely very uh, intentional that you don't know um the last thing I'll say about this book my final word is that it's actually very clean um that has nothing to do with the story but it was refreshing to me um, I mean, there's like a dam or a hell or whatever in this book, but like I was having to finish up, you know, the last hour or so, and I felt totally fine listening to it in the car with my kids in the car over the loudspeaker. So that was that was a nice little touch, I thought. Right, and I think too the way that it's the like suicide slash suicide ideation is written, it's not like a very obvious thing either. So that's maybe the one right. thing. I don't think we hit this. This is the last thing. I will say I loved, love, love, love the arc at the final end of the book when Zara does a nice thing. She gets yeah. Nadia, Nadia, the teenager that was rescued by Jack. She gets them together and she she leaves a little note and I wanted to read it. It's like just a handful of words. Mm-hmm. It said, "You or this is for Nadia and says, Nadia, you saved yourself. He just happened to be there. How freaking, like, she empowered her till the very end. (laughs) This is what I mean. Like, I just didn't get, like, the sociopath vibes exactly because, like, she had the good intentions. She was a total weirdo. Right. A a lot of, you know, oddities about her. But, like, her heart was in the right place. And I was like, 
I just kind of envisioned them like, you know, working it out and getting married and being like, this was the start of our story. I I actually had no idea what this book was about at all. So I 100 billion percent went into this thinking it was a about a love story of two people (laughs) with mental illness, like 100 million percent. So it really, um, you know, threw me for a loop. I'm like, wait a second. This is a bank robbery book. What? I had no idea either. Did not understand. Not understand. (laughs) Did not comprehend what this book would be about. It keeps Uh, on. It's like, you know, the book's about idiots. And it's like, yeah, it's like everyday idiots. Just like, it's like every, you know, it's just like people we all know, people (laughs) that we all are. It reminded me a little bit of Rat Race. You remember that movie? My family, unfortunately, my family was obsessed (laughs) with that movie. It it has like that quirky uh, Rat Race vibe. (laughs) The book, yeah, it's, it's got like a little bit of humor. It's got a little bit of mystery. It's got a lot of oddities. The book was good. I'm, I'm impressed. It's, it was better it than expected. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. You know what? We just talked for a solid hour, like full speed ahead. It, <laughs> I lied. We spoke for like an hour and like 15 minutes, but yeah, the, I, the book was worth it. We, I, we didn't even hit on so many points. You just I couldn't. Know. I so read this book, nothing. y'all. I would say read this dang book. And let us know what you think over on our Instagram. Absolutely. Um, and up next, we are going to be reading uh, Such a Fun Age, right? By yes. Kylie Reed, I believe. Mm-hmm. So y'all read along with us. And that should, that's another like contemporary fiction thing. So we're on a little bit of a roll here. That's right. Um, and if you want to get ahead on the next book, we're going to be reading Beach Read by Emily Henry. So there's our two July books. Y'all be sure to check them out and follow along with us. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.